0: You're listening to the Around the Lens podcast, the home of high-quality roundtable visual journalism discussion about the news, topics, and gear related to our career field. Now, here's the host of our show, David J. Murphy.
1: Welcome to Around the Lens, episode 225. Around the Lens is a roundtable panel discussion podcast where a group of visual journalists discuss the news Topics and gear related to our career field. Our regular panelists this week joining us are Travis W. Keys, a freelance portrait, fashion, travel, event, and humanitarian photographer based out of New York and chairman of APA New York. Hello, Travis. How are you? I'm doing fantastic this week. Hanging in there and uh, happy to be here this morning. Okay, well, happy to have you. Our other regular panelist is Evelyn Hochstein. Is a Dave. freelance photojournalist based out like of Washington, D.C.,
2: Hi. Good morning, everybody.
3: Am
1: I losing you, Dave? Yeah, Dave, some reason we keep losing you a little bit on the audio part. Well, that's probably because my network connection isn't that great right now. Uh, we, we've done. You and I have done this before. Hey, Jamie. How you doing?
3: Hey, Travis. I'm Jamie Rose. I'm well, the co-owner well, of Momentic Group. I haven't seen
4: it. you in so long. We, we didn't get to see you at any of the big conferences because they're all canceled. What have you doing, been doing since? I know. Well,
3: you know, everybody else i've been excluded in my house (laughs) but i live in central oregon so um it's kind of like a wonderful playland of gorgeous recreation and outdoor adventure so terrible well i guess if
4: you have to social distance that's a good place to actually social distance you can walk out and not bump into some people
0: right
3: yeah, and I only my the size of my town is only, you know, twenty-eight thousand people or something like that. So
0: it's, yeah,
3: it's a little different As, from uh, where you guys
4: are. How's your world changed with all of this?
3: Um so on the negative I think after, you know, this is like always my tip whenever we're on the show, like every young photographer should stretch and do yoga and do all that other stuff. Because after 20 years of carrying photo equipment, I have a terrible back and I really need a massage like so (laughs) badly. Um, (laughs) I think I saw one of these
4: wonderful... uh little kind of little it wasn't a meme it was a little video of like you know what massages are going to look like now and you saw like the person with two broomsticks and then like the hands just like (laughs) beating on the back (laughs) of the person's back it was actually quite amusing as sad as it was I know. so i don't know i don't think we're gonna do the whole episode episode like this but uh um can you can you
1: all hear (laughs) me now can you hear me now i guess we should talk
3: about photojournalism
1: guest panelists this week make i was keeping it going and having some fun (laughs) yes i appreciate you vamping for us travis that's very good 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 radio um uh, practice there. Um, anyways, our guest panelist this week making her sixth appearance on the show is the incomparable Jamie Rose, the co-owner of Momenta Group and an international photojournalist wow. who's worked for some of the largest nonprofits in the world. Hello, Jamie. How are you? Hello, Dave.
3: Lovely to see you. Not
1: really-ish. <laughs> it's not much to look at, trust me. Uh, so glad to have you back on the show. Uh, And I am David J. Murphy, a a freelance photojournalist and documentary filmmaker based out of South Korea. Thanks so much, everybody, for being here today. Let's get on with the show. All right, our first topic this evening or morning, depending on where you're at, uh, early morning in some places is all about a droner who essentially threatened the Blue Angels because he flew his drone really, really close to them as they were doing their performance. Uh, Of course, if you're in America, you probably have been experiencing in in certain locations, like maybe New York, uh, different sort of flyovers by the Blue Angels and the Thunderbirds. You know, this sort of kind of... um, morale-boosting air show performance over the world, over the United States. And again, trying to salute our heroes in the medical profession. Well, anyways, they've been all over the news, lots of uh, photos from the ground. And one droner decided, well, that's not good enough. I'm going to get up there with my drone and catch her some really, really heart-pounding, high-quality video. And so uh, he did. Um, but unfortunately, you know, it's kind of illegal. Uh, and he put these aircraft at risk. So, again, it seems like every other week we're talking about drones. And, you know, I bring this topic up, and we'll talk about it. And, you know, I want to get your all of your opinions, but I bring it up because um, I recently published an interview with Mr. Robert Roth. He's a lawyer based out of New York City, uh, and he is, specializes in New York City media law. And he, we talked about drone law for about uh, 45 minutes or so. So if you want to hear us drone on about drone law. Ha, ha, ha. But, uh, you can watch that on our youtube channel or our face i'll, I'll probably put it on our facebook page it was on our
0: wah, 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 wah. Yes, indeed. Uh,
1: it was on our patreon page about a week ago but now it's free for everybody so go check that out um anyway so let's start with just general impressions i mean uh what do we think about this guy flying his drone around up in the sky we'll throw it over always to our guest for their first impressions uh jamie rose what are your thoughts about this whole situation
3: Well, I think this is like journals acting badly anyway. Like, one bad apple is going to create precedent, and that's all anybody needs. Like, you know, it doesn't represent the people who have had training, the people who have had to go through certification, all of that, who know the rules, who know the safety measures. And it's unfortunate because this guy will now be brought up any time a city wants to pass an ordinance about should people be allowed to use drones and you know that jackass who got caught spying on his neighbors is going to be brought up
4: uh, i i have had drones since uh TGI started really pushing them out uh, i'm a big fan of them and, and and i think responsible usage is really important um with that you do need to register these drones and there's so you know they they
0: actually the uh that DGI is uh, putting these drones out there's more safety measures put in them so this guy seems like he probably skirted around some safety measures because the blue
4: angels were there and he was using one of the DGI drones it would have said uh, there's you know airplanes in the area you would have to bring it down and there's ways around that on some of these drones so i don't know if this guy's a journalist or not but if he if he's just a regular person you know, like you said the one bad apple ruins it for everyone i think uh, you really need to set up the law and stuff like that so it really dissuades people from doing this and if they get caught they're the ones that are responsible you know, you should have to have insurance like a car on them you should uh, have to uh, you know, learn to use them like a car, you should be licensed uh, and they did try and license it uh, They it just keeps the laws, they're trying to figure out the laws in the courts and uh, for, for a moment there to do anything commercially you had to have uh, a license yeah. so if I wanted to do real estate photography or if I wanted to do stuff on films you actually had to go through almost the same thing you would do for a flight to get uh, and uh, it was a very the pain in the butt process to do all that uh, which brings us to another thing is like maybe we won't even have drones in the US right now because DJI just got hit with uh, you know a patent lawsuit and uh, now they're trying to uh, stop me into the you know US right now so it's kind of crazy uh, do, do, you, you don't fly do you ever
2: <laughs> I don't fly but imagine if this guy had an accident with the blue angels I mean yeah. it's like there's drone flying. And, I mean, there's risk-taking or maybe skirting the laws, but this, like, which could be potentially so dangerous and injure, uh, like, a member of our military who are out trying to do something patriotic and whatever you feel about, you know, this flyover and this pandemic, thought your thoughts about that aside from morale-boosting, it, it's just nuts. I mean, the, the consequences, I thought, I mean, I'm not an expert on this, but it looked kind of scary to me, and I just thought, oh, my God, why would you risk that to get a photo of
0: yeah, oh, it's yeah. like
3: was yeah. at risk? It's like those jackasses that use laser pointers into, you know, pilots, like, there are definitely going to be people who are going to act badly. And, yes, it's true. Like, it would be like running Big Bird over with a car, you know. <laughs>
0: yeah, and, and, and now the laws, yeah, if huge. you do that to a pilot or someone that's flying, are huge. They're extremely, you know, it, 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 it there's potential going to jail for that. Somebody, it should be yeah. the same thing with the drone. Yeah. you're yeah. yeah. lives state Just for, you know, trying to get a cool video to put up. And I guess you put it up quickly and took it down. And, and uh, the wonderful thing about the Internet is if you put it up, someone's got it, and they put it back yeah. out. <laughs> so, exactly. Yeah. It will will track that person down, I'm sure.
3: I think in certain regards, like, look, I don't think that every time a member of a particular group does something bad that everyone needs to speak out against them, you know? (laughs) All Christians aren't responsible for the, you know, Westboro Baptist Church. But at the same time, I think that this is really important that the journalism community stands up and explains to the public what the difference is between the massive amounts of protocols and training and certification that, you know, we all have to go through to be able to do stuff like this versus somebody who's going to take it to the extreme or do something bad, and if this guy's journalism, you know, it's really going to, like, there needs to be a public outcry from the journalism but community the, to say the, this is not okay.
0: Yeah, um, I, I agree, but also... Of, the newness of of the product and how quickly that technology is advancing, that uh, there's a lot of uh, fight back on it. Uh, and unfortunately, you know, it's like if someone uses a car improperly or drives drunk, you know, are not all going, let's ban cars. Uh, I think there's no an reaction and uh, they want to control it. And uh, there's, you know, so many different uses for this. And, uh, you know, as, as good people and good citizens and journalists and, and people, it's an extension of our camera, which is so exciting. That's what makes drones so amazing is I can put it in a place where I I can't walk to or I can't kind of get to our perspective that's different than any other perspective I could get with a camera on the ground. And that's what's so exciting about these things is. But uh, if you don't use them responsibly, then there has to be repercussions.
1: There's going to be a run on drones like there was on toilet paper.
0: Exactly. There absolutely will be, and uh, for
4: you, the, the, the um, new Mavic Air 2 would be an incredible little device for you. It is so small you can put it in your camera. You know, when you're traveling, it'll literally fit in your camera bag, and uh, it you it, it you will so easily fly it. It's 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 really. It, I know it's like that first flight is terrifying, but it almost it, it does fly itself.
1: <laughs> Travis, let me Travis, let me ask something about drones because I'm considering purchasing yeah. one for work. Should I get the Mavic Two Pro or the Mavic Air Two?
4: You should get um, probably. Uh, that's a tough one. Just because that the sensor and the camera on the Mavic Two Pro is is definitely better. Uh, although the the new one is a forty six megapixel, they, it's a Hasselblad camera on the Mavic Two Pro, and it's a little bigger and you know, more megapixel. stable. Yeah, and it's 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 a fabulous it's a fabulous camera. There's a couple new bells and whistles on the Mavic Two. It's just. One is slightly more portable. The Air is definitely uh, the most portable one, uh, uh, and it's it's an incredible. Uh, for I don't know what kind of shots you're doing, but you could get away with using either one. Um, mm-hmm. And in fact, I would uh, if you're not doing like serious stuff, the, the Air Two is going to do so much great stuff for you, and you're going to have the portability of it. You're going to love it.
1: Yeah, I'm really I like the Pro's one inch sensor though. That's that's a pretty big, I'd say, selling point for me. But so yeah,
4: if you're doing photography and video and stuff like that, that's just going to give you a better all-around uh, photo and yeah. video. Have you used the goggles, the DJI goggles? Not done the the goggles yet. Uh, um, I, for some reason, I I think uh, it, they're probably amazing, but also I like knowing what's going on around me as well. So I can just kind of look and just being hey, that first-person flight thing is 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 great. But uh, I'm, I'm I need more senses around me <laughs> I don't know what's going on. Although those people that do those, uh, speed flying of the drones and, and, and close, you know, like through factories and through under and over like pipes and all this kind of stuff, it's amazing what they can do and how they can fly those things. Absolutely.
1: Um, yeah, this, this guy's going to get drone, drone ownership illegal or made, you know, extremely difficult through a number of certifications and different sort of things, because although he was, yeah, which is really tragic for the people that are responsible. Yeah, absolutely. Like you and me, we're responsible. Um, Jamie, Jamie's exactly. drone work it, it built into Momenta's workshops at all. Has that ever been something that you guys do or have done? Cool.
3: Yeah, yeah. Our especially like the um, our Columbia workshop was awesome. Two people brought drones and they did like the most incredible video footage of like a banana plantation and on a nonprofit that was, you know, helping all of the banana workers and um, they just had gorgeous footage. So it, we, we definitely have people bring all kinds of equipment and, and, you know, a lot of times, too, you know, moment momentum are a really nice time, especially on the international ones. You have two weeks to be able to play with new equipment in a really fun environment where you're getting coached all yeah. the time as well. So somebody can be there to help you troubleshoot instead of trying to do it in the field by yourself where the stakes are high, like maybe on an assignment or something yeah. like that.
4: Yeah. To add on to uh, something you said earlier, though, always check where you're traveling abroad uh, to make sure that's uh, what their laws are. Because, like, if you would say, oh, I'm going to take my drone to, right. to Cuba they would confiscate it on the way in. So you would not be able to have your <laughs> drone. So uh, you have to really kind of check the laws and, and they're always changing. So, you know, I'm sure if you're doing a workshop with momentum, they will let you know if you can bring the you know, drone wherever you're yes. going. But if you're traveling on your own, make sure that you do the due diligence.
3: <laughs> it's part of our pre-workshop material. <laughs> we'll tell you, if, you are, if you're allowed to do that and what shots you need to get to go to the country and all that other good well, the stuff. The great
1: thing is no one's traveling anywhere for anything especially workshops.
3: Really? Is that a great oh, thing? No. Really? <laughs>
1: well, it means you get to know the laws of your locality much better. Um, you know, let me ask you, uh, Jamie, how has COVID-19 affected, you know, the workshop business? Obviously everything's kind of been delayed, right?
3: Um, I, you know, I was actually just talking with somebody yesterday who had asked me to some questions about doing grant writing and, and, Nonprofit work and we were on a call and I said you know I think right now this is like the heyday of learning is from the just massive amount of free webinars that are available or seminars or podcasts or you know zoom calls that people are doing about topics of the day to like our programs have started to go online and the we were planning on announcing this anyway um, in March. The funny thing is, like, literally March 15th, I think, or 16th or whatever that Monday was, was going to be the announcement of, like, Momenta Live. And before any of this happened, that was part of the plan. We're like, oh, okay. <laughs>
0: guess well, we're this is be you beat a- the curve.
3: It's an obligation. So, yeah, we've had um, online seminars. And they've actually been great because the last I, the last one we did, someone from Portugal was on. Another person um, was based in South America, I think. Like, we had people from all over who wouldn't have necessarily been able to come to Washington, D.C. or New York or L.A. or something like yeah. that for one of our seminars. So, um, this is, I think it's going to change the face of learning quite a bit. And I think, too, like, you know, definitely there's a saturation right now because people are just so overwhelmed. There's so much content out there. And um, it's kind of funny, like, just from my 12 years of doing workshops you guys all know like whenever there's like somebody gets laid off or whatever they're like I'm going to go do a workshop and <laughs> that's how I'm going to make a bunch of money and uh, you know for like Michelle McLaughlin and people like me have been doing this for a while we're always like <laughs> oh it is a lot harder than what you think is about to happen right now it's not just like I'm going to get five bros to go on a trip with me and that I think is what the online platform is as well I mean everybody's got to up their game we're building a, a you know a build-out studio that's going to be coming up, um, for a lot more interactive learning. And I think the stakes are going to get a lot higher because I've, I've had a couple of people write to me when I've said like, Hey, how was that program? And they're like, Oh my God, that was such a waste of time and money or whatever. So I think it's just like any other industry key. Um, marketing is going to be key and making sure that the quality of content is high is, is where the bar is going to start being set. Um, now that we've kind of all settled into this new normal. But I think it's exciting because you get to attend programs and, you know, take classes at Harvard or whatever that you haven't been able to do before.
4: You bring up, I mean, you bring up very good points because, like, now everybody is like, what Zoom or what webinar can I put on and, and do now? So, like, almost everybody's like, ugh. I got three webinars today. I'm like, I'm, I'm webinared out and you have to figure out what is going to make yours different and, uh, kind of, uh, stick out in a way. And you're right on the money with that. And one of the things we did, because, uh, obviously with APA, I was doing webinars and, and you know, all of these kind of workshops and stuff like that. And one of the ones I did recently was, uh, how to write an artist statement with us. And we had a, you know, a, a great moderator, but what we did is we all kind of met in this main group room, about 30 of us, but then we went into these breakout rooms. So we, you know, all kind of breakout and all work in, in groups of two or three and it was all seamless you know so i could assign the breakout rooms and suddenly i'd hit a button and everybody go into the breakout rooms and and we would jump into it into each of the rooms and and really kind of work one-on-one with these people or our three-on-three and then come back into the main room and then branch off again and it just gave a more personalized experience than 30 or 40 or 50 people in a room like everybody yeah. got to meet each other then they got to go into these smaller groups and then come back into the big group and it worked really well it's one of the most fun uh ones that we've given and done
3: that's so cool I mean, I, I think I think you're right. I think this like fatigue of just. The concept of sitting online and then, uh, and video as well, like having to be on and having to like be making eye contact, but it's weird because you can't make eye contact. And And with um, you guys,
4: the more you make it interactive, I think everybody's like, you know, suddenly it's like, oh, it's another hour or two hours. And if you're just listening, you drone out. And if you're home, then you go get coffee, you come back. I'm like, oh, maybe I'll listen to it later. It's like, But if if people get to interact, then they're invested in it and talking to other people and it becomes more of a shared experience. And I think that's what's more engaging.
1: Travis, I'm glad you brought the conversation back to drones because uh, I did want to mention so the, we're... the court ruling you mentioned earlier about the, the drone cases. Yeah. Yes, that has to do with a patent, essentially, that um, Autel Robotics USA has convinced the U.S. International Trade Commission to essentially stop the sale of all Mavic Pros, Mavic Pro Platinums, Mavic 2 Pros, Mavic 2 Zooms, Mavic Air and Spark. It doesn't say the Mavic Air two, so you're set there. Just buy that one. I guess my decision is made. Uh, but yeah, this could put a kibosh on all sales of drones. And I think you know, I don't. I don't know. I've never heard of Autel's drone, so I don't know what they'd be stopping or what they would replace it with. But I think it'd be a sad day for droning if we lost DJI.
4: Yeah, I, I think it's it is that of you know uh, the patent wars between. Uh, Samsung and Apple. You know, they never stopped selling, but there was a lot of money going back and forth, and one person paying the other person. So I think uh, there's too much money being made by DJI that uh, settled out of court or you know, go, get ongoing. Uh, so I don't think uh, you'll really see a stop of these right now, but uh, it's possible. I, and it's certainly uh, uh, it, it's, it'll probably be good for DJI as you were saying, is that it's going to cause a lot of people to suddenly say, i got to buy a drone right now. <laughs>
1: yeah. If you weren't considering getting one, Now's the time to get one, Evelyn. I'm considering,
2: <laughs> considering. just have it. I love the footage. I mean, they're awesome. Just never done it, but you I never appreciate it. You have them.
1: one in your camera bag. Just, just your arsenal right. of tools. Yeah, that's right. Just throw it, throw it up in the air, <laughs> capture the footage. Ta-
3: ask Tassos and Evelyn. Ask Tassos and Jessica Casalini act there in DC about it. They're like drone uh, they're, experts. Ask, I, you're bro- you have expert oh, yeah, in DC. I totally
2: lost you, and all I heard was Assos, who I was oh, a doll. Well, what should I ask him?
3: Right. <laughs> Tassos is a
2: <laughs> okay. okay. I'll definitely, if I get one, I'll look him up. I'll call him. Yeah,
1: he's great. Well, you know where I haven't seen drone imagery this year is in the Pulitzer Prize-winning photographs, um, and this year they. Oh wait, that's our third topic. Oh, oops. Uh, darn it! such a great. All right, we're just going to jump to that one because I, I don't want to waste that. It was such a good segue, segue, but uh, you know what? you can we'll come, come back, back to, it. to it. We'll see how you weave yeah, it yeah, back. Yeah. We'll get back to the second topic. All right, we're moving on to the third topic. We're talking about Pulitzer Prize winners here. Um, so again, the pulitzer's yep. announced their winners recently. So let's talk about uh, the winners, starting with breaking news photography that was awarded to Reuter, uh, Reuters for the photographs of the Hong Kong protests, of course, a, a major topic from last year. Um, although, you know, it's funny looking at these photographs from the protest. I'm like thinking, ah, yes. Pre COVID days back when you could gather millions of people in small confines. seems so spaces. long ago. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I, so crazy. What, what do you all think? Let's throw to you, Evelyn. Uh, what do you think of sort of the, you know, this set and kind of the winners in general?
2: Yeah. I was just looking through the political turmoil in Haiti, and it—they're—they're—they're they're, they're amazing photos, um, you know. And I find it a little bit depressing because when I started my career, I was so inspired by Carol Guzzi, yeah. who won the Pulitzer Prize for her work in Haiti. And there's these images of people holding up the gun, and she, that famous image of the American soldier with his arms spread wide, his legs spread wide, and you know he's holding up his his weapon, surrounded by a mob. And I just thought, oh, you know, here we. Life doesn't, you know, there's always turmoil and always chaos in a lot of parts of the world and uh, powerful images. And, um, of course, Hong Kong, great team bridge also by Reuters. So, um, yeah, just I think it's tremendous. I mean, when you think about the year and how you pick, you know, the topics, there's a lot happening this year, but I think these are all very well deserved.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, looking back and and thinking about sort of this event, I think this is definitely in another life would have been something Zach would have went to, you know, had he had he had the the capability to. Because, I mean, this is this is right in his lane, you know, protest photography, you know, um, you shot sort of sort of in our guest lane, too. I, exactly. Of <laughs> course.
2: Oh, no. Oh, yeah. I thought I first met Jamie in, in Uganda covering some elections. Right. Isn't that where we met? Yeah. First yeah. time
3: I ever got tear gas.
1: Oh, my gosh. Talk
3: about <laughs> yeah. that experience. I met you. Well, I don't know if I should tell Okay. I'm going to tell the story because it actually does have to do with, like, conflict and international conversation. Oh, like, uh, the first time <laughs> Evelyn was in Nairobi when I was living there for a short term. Do you know what I'm going to talk about? The building collapsed. So, like... Well, I've heard of this woman. Everybody talks about, like, how amazing Evelyn Hoxstein is. She's so incredible. You've got to meet her. She's just, like, this amazing photographer. And a building, unfortunately, a building collapsed. I get a call from APA, and they said, like, can you go down and cover it? And I get there, and all of a sudden, like... Like Cleopatra Entering a scene She gets dropped off by this car She looks fabulous Like her hair is done, she's got makeup on But she runs into this building collapse with flip flops on And she's like, I was getting a pedicure, and I, of course, she had a camera with her, so she just runs over, and I think, am I remembering this correctly, you sent your taxi driver back to your house to get your shoes from your roommate and come back and drop them off to you? I don't remember
2: that part, but it would have definitely been wise to have shoes because <laughs> flip flops when a building i mean imagine a building collapsed, you got like rebar and rubble, and oh, it was oh, awful but i I just had to do it. I mean, I felt like I got flip flops. Yeah. what am I gonna do i gotta I gotta cover it so yeah, that was a little hairy, but um. Well, and I don't was, remember like Cleopatra because I don't think I had my hair done. But I like, thank you for your, your memory. But um, you I'm walk sure. into the
3: scene and you're just like, hello. I'm oh, so incredibly better looking than all the rest oh, of you please. right now. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so I'm coming. sure I Thank you. These are these
2: are good memories. But um, <laughs> usually I'm really stressed and I'm, like, sweating and I have my pouches on. And, you know, you're like, oh, my God. I get really frenetic in a, in a breaking news situation. But I do remember the flip-flops. And do not wear flip flops to earthquakes, building call really to any any news event. Unless it's at the beach, bad. it wasn't
4: as glamorous meeting me at Shutterfest.
2: Maybe to a Zoom a Zoom protest, you can wear your flip flops. Yeah, But I did it. I remember getting good. I don't remember who I was shooting for, but I think I, we got, I'm sure we all got good photos. It was true. It was so, uh, one
4: thing I want to ask is, is it like uh, a, a doctor watching a movie on doctors and picking apart, but are, do you w- look at these, all these Pulitzer prize winning photos and actually say, wow. Uh, and, and just admire them. Or do you pick them apart as a professional journalist or, or do you, how do you view them? It's because sometimes being so, you know, like when I owned and ran restaurants, if I went to another restaurant, I would see everything that went right or went wrong. Do you, are you able to kind of disengage yourself or, or or kind of look at it, uh, you know, in a different way, or are you kind of always looking through a photographer's eyes? I mean, I think it's a
2: common, it's, well, it was to whatever. you, but
4: uh, you, you can um, you both answer. Just, Obviously, you both I have just, uh, you both have. Yeah,
2: uh, <laughs> go. Oh my gosh, I don't want to cut off our guest um, who's so great. Um, but I'll just be quickly. I think to your point, it's all of those things, Travis. You always look at images. I mean, from a photographer's critical eye, and I might be want to critique and say, "Oh, why did they shoot it? Why did not this way or that way?" But I mean, I think what's the Haiti images are just really cover so there's so many. Bro- images like it's a very broad scope of work from like daily life you know with fishermen and you know details of uh people's fingernails and mothers and, and then all of the violence on top of that so I, I i think um i mean i i think this is a really good well-edited selection and i think the conflict images are are very str- all very strong moments I, I i don't i think this is a good body strong body of work that you know i feel i don't feel like oh why did they win you know jamie Back to you. <laughs> I think,
4: I think and I'm going to add to that, it because she got into it. I want the original question I asked, but I also add to it. When does a photo capture you? Because there are times that I watch a movie that I, when I've worked in the film industry that I totally get lost in it. And and I forget that I ever was part of it. I end up, I forget that there was a camera there. That is so magical. What are those photos and what how does that
3: affect you? I, th- I think when I'm looking at these packages of work, or when I'm doing judgings, um, like I'm judging a yeah. contest next This month, Um, and when it comes to picture packages, I want you know, and I think other, I think other judges probably feel the same way. Like, I want to make sure the whole package is tight, and every image makes sense. Because if there's just that one picture that is cliche or just not up to the quality unless it's a really incredible moment I mean you know to quote Chris Usher and Brisson and everyone else like moments 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 and like if it's a really amazing moment you can kind of fudge the quality and the execution of it but I think these packages I didn't find any individual image that didn't feel like it belonged and and I think as well the the editing didn't really strike me as being like overly salacious or, you know, just trying to go for like the cheap shot of, or like that. Um, for me, the one thing that really stands out that makes me time, especially in, in breaking news coverage is like quality of lighting or the quality of framing. like can, I, I think everybody remembers that moment from war photographer when when not like photographing the kid with the Molotov cocktail and you can just kind of see him and he's just like, oh, I'm going to just maybe I'm just going to move a little bit to the left. You know, whereas the reason why I said like I'm not a really good conflict photographer is because most of the time I'm just like, what the <laughs> like, I don't know what's going on. I'm so freaked out. And he's just got that like you know zen archer way of approaching yeah. things and and those photographers like this breaking news the hong kong coverage stuff i mean you could just see that they were they were looking at the impact of the photo with the framing with the foreground middle ground background rule of thirds lighting like every single fundamental came together in those images there any, and uh, on, the,
4: on the top of your head that stood out st- 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 in, in this in these in this in this series that uh they put up the link for and uh and the <laughs>
3: The first one in that Hong Kong series, um, I remember was like caught me in a newsletter, I think. Like I saw it when the newsletter came out and I was like, click, I'm in. Like I'm ready. I want to see this whole package of work. Um, but when we talk about some of the other ones, there's definitely, I definitely have some opinions on the other ones. Yeah, oh, good, so, good. I, you know, I was
2: focusing a little bit on the finalists because i sorry. I, there was just so much. I felt, felt like there was a lot of talent. Of course, the Hong Kong stuff, the winning stuff, but. And also, let's not forget the Dallas, the Federal Reserve Building image. I know. God yeah. Was a it
1: finalist, seems so long ago that now. Was that was bravery. It's that like, oh, my God. You know, I going to say that guy it's was amazing.
2: practicing proper
1: was just... mask wear, proper face covering <laughs> wear. Oh, you know, geez. he was ahead of the game.
2: <laughs> yeah. That, the bravery took and the composure. I don't, I could not have, think I could have done that. I feel like he should, he's yeah, been especially when you and... see the
4: photo of how close he was to
1: him.
2: Yeah. Yeah, unbelievable. If you can have a reflection um, of the gunman know,
1: on the wall you're standing next to, you're pretty close to him. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Unbelievable. Yeah, I
3: think one of the things that, I'm just going to throw this out there, because we're in breaking news. Like, And if any non journalists ever watched this episode, I mean, one of the things I try to like remind people of on my Facebook page, maybe a percentage of family and friends who have nothing to do with our industry, like, yeah. People need to always remember that the photojournalists and, and the, you know, gribblers and the video guys, <laughs> their credit too. But, like, if something is going down, like, you know, and I think there's that, like, incredible quote from the photographer that died in the World Trade Center where he called his wife and he said, don't worry, I'm with the firefighters. And, you know, the firefighters are also the ones running straight into danger. The police are running straight into danger. Right now, the doctors and nurses are running straight into danger. And the photojournalists are right behind them. Protest all they want. Yell that, you know, or tweet that fake news isn't essential. Which, sure, that's actually true. Fake news is not essential. But journalists mm-hmm. all and they need to be there to cover these incredible stories and the risks that they're taking on not just a Hong basis, but Dallas, I mean, just random ass day in Dallas can turn into this incredibly violent and dangerous situation to be in. And then that guy didn't even blink. I mean, those are like nerves of steel, imagine. So I, I think the rest of the world needs to remember that this profession isn't just about framing and lighting and acclaim. It's, it's about about danger that everyone faces and probably every single person who, who puts their life in some way to get that. And that's, that's bravery beyond the daily pale that most people have to go through. So I applaud all of these winners and finalists and applicants.
1: Well, I think it's interesting uh, about... I, that's my soapbox. I'll get down. Well, I just want to say what I think is interesting <laughs> about the breaking news category is you have you know, the Hong Kong set, you have the AP Haiti set. These are both... You know, photo stories that took place over the course of months that have hundreds of photographs attached to them, usually from multiple photographers, right? And then you have this one shot by one photographer who happened to be in the right place at the right time or the wrong place at the right wrong time, depending on how some people would look at it. But again, it's, it's interesting to see the divergence and the sort of diversity in this one category. And I think that's what makes the Pulitzer so interesting because it's a, it's, it's, it's a guessing game, really. If you're a working photojournalist, you know, you don't know if necessarily you have a Pulitzer winner on your hands or if you, you know, you just got the stroke of luck and you're in the right place at the right time.
2: Yeah. I I think we think of the breaking news photo often as that single image, like uh, Oklahoma city, Mm -hmm. uh, or you know um charlottesville but um but yeah this team coverage was they were all it must be so hard i mean i haven't been but it must be difficult but i was actually curious what your guys thoughts were on the feature photography because i was a little bit surprised by the winning the winners and jamie you i don't know if you ever worked in that part of the world but as a pro, it seemed like a project photographer and you're, you're covering like these topics you may have some thoughts on that because it was not I think Kashmir is probably, maybe it's very difficult to work there, and it, I'm, not, I'm not sure, um, but I felt like photography was different than what we do winners of the Pulitzer Prize. What do you guys think about, about that? A lot of portraits. Um, <laughs> yeah, because they won the future photography, right. Mm-hmm.
3: right? That's the, and, yeah. yeah. Well, I, it's actually funny because I was like super excited to talk about the finalists, but every year in contest season, I feel like people get bonarms about what's chosen for the winners versus the finalists. Um, and I think sometimes topic wins over content. Um, sometimes access, I think, can win over content as well. Um, where maybe, you know, maybe the quality of images wasn't (coughs) amazing, wasn't sharp, gorgeous, looks like it, you know, just fell off of an advertisement type of an image. But it's so powerful that it kind of doesn't matter if the quality isn't there. And I've never, I've, I've worked in India quite a bit, but I've never been there. And I'm sure I'd say this, it's Kashmir during a lockdown. And it's a militia-controlled lockdown, and I think everyone here knows the frustration and difficulty it is of photographing anything in a lockdown and trying to find daily images that showcase what it what is actually happening. Um, the thing that I find interesting about this choice is that, like me, as well. I, I don't know. I, why Why are you asking, Evelyn? That would be my question. No, I, I just... Um, you know, as the
2: storytelling, they're very portrait-based, you know? And yes, it's feature photography, but are these the most evocative... Um, do these images do tell the story, really? Or is it the images and the words as well? Um, I just found it to be an interesting choice. Um, I don't want to... That part of the world... I'm... I'm, I'm it just—I wasn't sure that just on the imagery alone, it it jumped off the page.
4: Is what I guess. You're actually leading to say. the witness.
1: I, no, I, you're asking.
2: No, I asking my, my, uh, all of them. Well, that's the thing. There are many, many categories. So the first, but the the first one—I mean, the protest amid the unprecedented siege. There's some, you know, strangeness there. I don't know. It just wasn't. Uh, it was it was just a body of work that I didn't think was maybe as tight as the Hong Kong protests or edited as tightly as other groups just, I'm just throwing it out there I just want to know your
3: no, thoughts and I'm not the I, whole this this take the, the, <laughs> well, I, the finalists the, the reason why I'm asking is because I thought the finalists were like this is what happens sometimes with the Oscars you know where it's like what a, Johnny Depp won for that like ridiculously terrible movie The Tourist right. and you look at the runners-up, and those are the ones whose performances are really remembered as being, like, incredible. And I can add back to the winner of this category, but, but Mary Calvert's photographs are so powerful. Like, I thought her sexual assault from women in the military was powerful, but this series... With the captions, which I think is the true sign of a really great journalist, photojournalist, is the ability to write out, you know, incredible stories with your captions. Like, that blew me away. I I feel like that story is so under-told, that under-reported, that this is probably the story that's going in people's memories for a lot longer than a crisis of the day or a topic of the day equally as impressed with um emily clark right erin clark sorry her work on homelessness and both of those things for me like this is news coverage it's in to go all the way around the world and find you know marginalized populations who are experiencing struggle it's right there and these two stories are the stories that everyone should be focusing on in the next 12 months because sure the images of hospitals and unfortunately you know morgues and body bags and things like that are going to be so powerful but i think it's the everyday life struggle of the aftermath of this particular pandemic and crisis is are the stories that are really going to mean something, and are going to needed in coverage, so, I don't know, I mean, I I just, I was, they chose something as quiet as a family experiencing homelessness, and something as, as power, I don't know, I thought Mary's was great, in my opinion, Um, and I think the two finalists in this are just exceptional, (laughs) they're so impressive.
2: We talked about homelessness, you know, covering homeless people last week on the show, and there you go. You got a finalist for a Pulitzer for something that is often maybe over-covered or not covered in the right way, but there's always a new way to look at something or, you know, give it impact, and I thought that was see. And I don't, don't want to, I feel, I don't want to diminish the work, Kashmir. I just think that, that you can look at how how I mean, the topic, like you said, it's the subject and the topic and 69 years of, you know, historical, you know, oppression and and, um, that's important. But I wasn't as compelled by the imagery, but that's life, you know, it's exactly what we said about the Oscars. You know, it happens. I think
3: not to take away from them
2: either. They're doing good work, you know. Yeah, great work. Yeah.
3: It's kind of like saying, you know. Well, it's like Sam Allister. No. Bad guy. <laughs>
1: yeah. Which is hard.
3: This is your favorite. It's all great
2: work. Yeah.
3: So I was surprised. But I, I like the other photography of those two stories and the ability to get access to subjects who might be more reticent. And in terms of like Erin Clark's, I mean, she had commitment. For a very long period of time. This wasn't a, you know, a really short, this happened in a weekend type of a thing. And if you look at some of these coverage, when you look at the coverage of stories like don't just happen in a moment. Mm -hmm. And don't, you know, happen, it affects people for a really long time. And if a photographer can be there, and and really you know, kind of stay with that family for a really long time, or if they can get the access to something that is so incredibly personal, Mary Calvert is doing, that's the sign of a really great journalist. That's yeah. someone who isn't just walking down the street, making beautiful images in a beautiful place with beautiful people. It is a commitment to storytelling that I think can set you apart when it comes to contest season. And that's really what judges are looking for, Do you have the intimacy and I'll never forget the year that Chris Langer won the student award for the WHNPA and he did it was the year of the like 99% protests you guys remember that? so like every single person was standing in portfolios full of like the story on his dad because it was right at the start of the financial crisis of his dad who had gotten laid off from his job after like 20 years like that and he died documented him, and he took the financial crisis and made it super personal and super, and the judges were blown away because it was like the one story that wasn't the hot topic of the day, but he had this incredible intimacy and experience with it that just showed that it was just leaps and bounds above the rest, and that's where, you know, I think that's what stands out when Judge 300 selections.
1: You know, you bring up the homeless story, right? And we talked about that last week, as you said. And what strikes me about this story, at least from the one image I can see on the Boston Globe's website, I don't know if there are more images, but um, it's is that the children involved, you know, and I think maybe it's because I'm talking from a father's perspective, but it's one thing to show homeless adults, right, who consent and or at least buy in or have, you know, but kids they have no idea what's going on. This is, they're just, you know, from their perspective, they probably just think they're camping or something like that. So I think about like these kids and these photographs and what they're going to, you know, see like 10, 20 years later. And it's like, you know, they're associated with this story. You know, they can't consent to, so to speak. I mean, at least not knowing, they don't know what they're consenting to really. You know, I'm just curious from your all's perspective, you know, do you think kids and homeless features should you know even if the mother gives consent and is all about it and obviously she had to you know i think for this story particularly because of the intimacy of it but you know do you think that it's is right to to do a story that involves homeless kids or kids that are involved with you know homeless families
2: i don't i mean i don't see anything they're really beautiful and touching family um images and and all families are different so i just think that this family may be struggling you know with you know they live in, in they, they they're different scenes of different places that they live but i think that documenting a family in struggle um just because we're saying homeless isn't any different than necessarily documenting a family or children that may be going through a health crisis gender or transformation or wh- whatever it might be or your parents you know it, it's it's life. And if you do it with um, integrity and, and compassion and, and we're storytellers, I don't really necessarily mean being an adult or, or being a child. Um, children that are victims of something um, like, you know, child sexual abuse or something like that, that may be a different story that you want to consider because they don't necessarily want that publicized. But how are we looking at homelessness? Is this that they're going to carry with them you know, as an adult, like later on in their lives, I I don't necessarily see it that way. Um, So no, I don't take any issue with that as long as it's done in some, you know, way that doesn't, you know, put a child at
1: risk or anything Mm -hmm. like that. Okay. No, I was just looking at from the perspective of the the kids, (laughs) you know, again, when they're in high school, when they're, when they're, you know, a little bit older. And of course, everything stays online. Everything lives online. So it's like. You know, people are going to search for you and stuff like that. And, oh, look at uh, uh, Leia. Leia was homeless back What's when she was five. that?
3: Right. I mean, there's no difference between that and Facebook. But more than the real question, I would also add to that is, would you feel differently if these were kids in Africa? Would you feel differently if these were kids in right. a different country? Is it just because these are... American white children and that's unusual for us to see them suffering as opposed to you know other people but I think when we get into a slippery slope of like and I don't know I mean I don't you guys have probably experienced this a ton of people being like the public (laughs) coming up and being like how dare you take a picture of this. You know, yeah, I agree. If somebody is just, like, randomly stalking homeless people on the street for, you know, that, like, poverty porn, yes, I think that that's kind of deplorable. And I think that just because they're in that situation doesn't mean you should be documenting it. But if you're documenting it to show that the impact of something like this is harsh for some of our most vulnerable people, like children, that is what gets to the heart of journalism, which is to educate the population about an issue that is important and should be addressed by the people who have the ability to make change. And you can't ignore the fact that there are children there. Like I think that Annie Flanagan's pictures of women of sexual, uh, like children who have grown up and had sexual assault, the, the pictures that she did where their faces were hidden But yet it was this incredibly powerful coverage was done with an enormous amount of respect. But I think in today's day and age where people, I'd rather see a photo story like this that's done with such respect and intimacy and the ability to put it out there into the Boston Globe to let it evoke the images and evoke the emotions that cause change. Yeah, I think that that's totally, I think it's totally important and it's necessary. And if we start to hide it, from yeah. ourselves, we're kind of getting into that same thing with the military, remember, where, you know, the huge discussion during the Iraq War, which is, we just shouldn't show any violence, we shouldn't show any blood, we should only show the, the like, positive side of the Iraq War invasion, and there's all this pressure for journalists not to, you know, showcase anything negative, and it's like, well, that's not real, that's not real right. life at all, we need to show that this is a struggle, and we need to get our, you know, troops home safely. <laughs> Children are,
2: you know, a huge part of society and and change and society's ills and, you know, like, think historically about children working, laborers working in factories in the United States. But Dave, I just want to take umbrage. I'm sorry with what you said about, oh, looking back and there were homeless ones. I don't think we as a society should stigmatize people. So maybe some bratty kids in high school say, "Ah, I saw you on the internet You used to be homeless or something like that. Like that's terrible. And that's bull. I mean, that's just not a reason not to do, to do something. I don't think we should say, oh, you were homeless in your past perhaps, or maybe in your current present future. There are plenty of homeless kids still in high schools and universities or people are there's so many homeless people now it's it's unbelievable but i don't think we should do that because someone might be stigmatized because they find a picture from their past and now they it's all
4: the spin though isn't it right because like you know you see a contestant on American Idol he's like he used to live on the streets he was homeless and now he's the next American Idol everyone's like woo! and then you know some kid you know in school teasing kids teasing so it's all how you spin it uh, I think and uh, you know we as a society need to uh, um, and and when you're talking about homeless and especially children with, with the purpose shooting with the purpose you know I think for a long time a lot of people just thought homeless people were you know people that uh, chose to be on the streets or lost a job or something and didn't realize the amount of people that were actually children and it was because of some of these exposés of, of people and this photography that people realized oh wait half of the people that are homeless are children um and uh, so i mean it, it, it there's good and bad with everything we do and i know we talked about it last week and i said yeah, don't shoot homeless people just because it looks like a, a shot that might be a cool shot or because you see them there. You have to have a purpose and you have to, you know, do it. It's just not there to shoot and because it's there.
3: Like, so, um, you know, we teach nonprofit there is a big, huge line of why. Like, why are you making this image? And a lot of times, our, you know, some of the photographers come back and they really struggle. And they're like... Yeah. I'm photographing this nonprofit and I just, I feel like I shouldn't be there. And I think that's the big difference of why, if you're walking down the street and you're making a picture because somebody looks dirty or whatever, and they're all like, you know, drugged out and you want to like showcase. I think I've said this before, Dave on the show. Like, I hate the word grit. I hate it. Unless you're Angela Duckworth who wrote the book on grit like which is about tenacity. If you're talking about grit in photography, it just means you want to photograph people at their worst so that you in your portfolio that makes you edgy and I think that's bullshit. Yeah. But yeah. I, I'm sorry, now you just got like the E rating on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time, if the why is I'm photographing this really hard situation. Like I mean, geez so much of the stuff that Evelyn was doing in Africa was of, you know, women suffering from i mean didn't you do a, a fistula story evelyn mm-hmm. like that is one of the most intimate embarrassing and outright suffering that a woman can go through in an, in a in a you know first or third world country and that is something that should be talked about constantly and like these stories that people are doing on awkward subjects like menstruation and, you know, and and sexual assault among men. I mean, it's these are stories that are so intimate. And the why isn't salaciousness. The why is education and change. And I think that that's that big difference between what the public thinks we do and, like, what we do is... We are doing this for change, whether you're photographing it for a nonprofit, you're doing a documentary, or you're photographing it for the newspaper, or even just a personal project that you truly believe in. It's, it's about evoking change. And so if we start to limit ourselves in what we feel comfortable covering, we won't cover uncomfortable topics. But we should limit ourselves in exploitation and you know, being salacious or being, you know, scandalous because we want to do something that's going to make people think or whatever, as opposed to change.
1: Yeah, so we should all work for TMZ. There you go. Perfect. Yeah. Um, we
3: all make a lot more money. That's for
1: sure. yeah, right. <laughs> eh, not so much. But anyways, you know, to go to your point, Evelyn, with regard to, you know, why am I bringing this up with regard to these kids? It has nothing to do with sort of their nationality or their race or anything like that. I, my own um, history, my own um, career have done many photo stories on children or that have had families and that have had children. I even did a photo story on a family that was, you know, poor under the poverty line, struggling to survive. And that included, you know, obviously photographs of their children. So I only thought about it right here and now just because, again, you know, I see my own son growing up. He's five years old. He's you know, starting to, you know, develop his personality and whatnot. And I'm thinking about him at that point and so again it might just be again an over sensitivity and maybe the next time I'm given the opportunity to do a story that involves children I won't even think about it again but it was just something that came to mind um, just looking at this one photograph and thinking about you know how these kids and I think hopefully it makes them stronger for it and when they do uh, approach that one jerk kid who decides to you know point it out to them that they know how to handle that because they've been you know grown up in a you know less than optimal, uh, location and optimal time and in place, but they've, they've become stronger for it and they'll be able to, you know, do better because of it. So, um, but yeah, that was just kind of the reason I brought that up. Um, going back to, well, Dave, I- and
2: I think that's a good way to look at it, Dave, cause you are a parent, you know, and it is good to have those like gut instincts for when you approach a story the next time with kids, like it's yeah. keep all, it's good to keep all of these things in mind so that when you do do the story, you do it you do it right and you do it with integrity Yeah, and, and these kids, and not for the salacious value.
1: Right. And the, these kids yeah. may fully understand what is going on. I mean, five-year-olds are, as I've known myself, extremely cognizant of the world around them more so than you think. And, you know, again, I think if they're, again, like you said, if there's no, if I'm not taking advantage of them, then I think it's fine. You know, you can, you're, you're trying to shine light on a subject and, you know, it's like that one photograph from uh, the Dust Bowl back in the day, you know, uh, the, the mom and her two kids and stuff like that. It's like kids in, in poverty. It's like another one of those, again, like homelessness, protests, you know, all these kind of stories center around sort of the this sort of rotating series of topics that constantly get the focus on each year with these, these major contests. I will say, of course, Mary Calvert's work is amazing, and it's definitely different from the group. You know, it's, I think, an intimate portrayal of a very tough subject to cover, but she did it very well. And like you said, Jamie, you know, some of these finalists, they're just as noteworthy and conversation-worthy as the winners. So, um, yeah, looking forward. Hopefully hey, gotta... Dave, can I ask you a question? Yeah, please.
3: So how do you react to Mary's work as someone with a military background?
1: Oh, Good Oh, Jamie. Oh, Jamie.
3: Um, Not, like, like I, you know, I blame or whatever, but, like, have, have you coverage before? And has it caused a dialogue among any of your peers or anything like that?
1: Um, Actually, I have seen coverage of this, and it's it's actually been inside the military. Um, like, for instance, uh, mm. I remember a friend of mine actually um, told his story. Uh, about being sexually assaulted. Um, He was a a male in the military, and he told it as part of a sort of, you know, resiliency effort because, you know, of course... um, Suicide is an issue in the military, and resiliency is one of the kind of core tenets of the military that we, we always espouse and push for. And, you know, people we, – we encourage people who have sort of overcome adversity in their life and have shown resiliency to tell their stories. So if you look out there, you know, there's quite a few um, stories about there about people who have had struggles in their life and how they've overcome them and become better for them. So. Um, but this particular story you know I, I don't you know again there's all kinds of different stories out there um, and it, it's a moving it's a moving series of images. I think probably the the image that most stuck with me from the group was the one of the guy who is like by himself in the house and he's got like a mattress on the floor and he's surrounded by trash and he's got his computer station and I'm like, okay. Yeah. So I think it's it's, uh, it's just an issue of you know mental health with veterans and stuff like that. It's a very you know uh, critical issue in this country, and I think we need to take uh, you know the veterans' health very seriously. And hopefully, you know, um, those who seek it can get it, you know, because it's it's an important issue. Um, moving on to our last topic this evening, uh, uh, topic number two. Which was the second topic? It was the second topic. That's <laughs> Is, right.
3: I'm gonna- Clarify that it's not evening everywhere. It's really early
4: on. (laughs) I just want to say thanks, Jamie, for coming
1: out and and being here so early. I do appreciate you taking that. Which is uh, so funny because if if it was this early for Evelyn and I,
4: we wouldn't be here right now.
3: (laughs) I saw that in the group contacts, and I was like, Are you getting? (laughs) Of course i get up at 5.30 in the morning. It'd be you just guys. you and Dave. <laughs> and funniest, I get up
1: at 5 a.m. every morning anyway. So, you know, I don't mind doing this show at pretty much any time of the day as long as I get to talk to you all about, you know, these subjects. As long as I'm not at work, I'm more than happy to conquer down any time of I'm day and to talk to you all.
3: Straight up war dialed both of your cell phones, by the way, if you didn't get up.
1: <laughs> I would just yeah. keep
3: calling and calling and calling <laughs> until it <you're
1: locked> in. <laughs> Uh, So, of course, COVID has put everybody on lockdown. You know, we can't have a story that goes by without talking, a week that goes by without talking about COVID and its impacts on everything that we do. And, you know, I want to throw this over to Travis first for his comments on, because I think this story most aligns really with you. And, you know, we talked about multiple times about you're talking, you know, saying like, hey, you know, these portrait sessions, yada, yada, they're not worth the risk, they're not worth the risk. And in, in the case of, I think, New York and New Jersey, like, you can't even do it if even if you want to because a portrait session is not an essential job right like right. You, is there any part of your job that you could consider that would be considered essential you know in terms of like you need to go out well if you were me personally the type of photography i do uh
4: i, I don't the journalist that's a different story um, right but uh right. since i do mainly you know portrait and commercial and editorial and stuff like that and um it's essential for me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, all right.
1: um, but I mean, but the reality of your like, situation is you couldn't do it in, in right now because of the stay at home orders in New York city, even if you want to, even if somebody was willing to pay you. you yeah. Even if I did it responsibly and, 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 you know, followed, you know, rules
4: and, and it really kind of just, you know, did it the, by the book in terms of, you know, keeping six feet away, not contaminating, wearing masks and doing all this kind of stuff. It's the law right now. And, and, and you can't do it. You can't do it. There's it's not. It's, there's no discussion. It's like that's, that's what you can do and you, you can't do. So when you have it around that, and, and, and the, I guess you're going to the story that where uh, a photographer was caught shooting uh, uh, weddings in a backyard,
1: correct? Right. In New Jersey, he was shooting, I think, a group of eight adults or something as some wedding photos. And uh, somebody called the cops. I'm sorry, knocked him out. And so um, he got him and all the other adults got fined, I think a thousand dollars for being out during the yep. stay at home order, even though it was probably done, you know, responsibly and everyone consented to it. <clears throat> well,
4: first what a lousy neighbor running a nice wedding <laughs> during all of this horror, you know, and I understand people are very concerned and, and uh, <clears throat> you know, I, I, don't, I look upon people that, uh, you know, you see out in New York city when it's a nice or, or, you know, crowded in, Certain areas, and so or, you know, you look across the U.S. where people aren't taking it seriously and not following social distancing and norms and stuff like that. It, it, it's it, it annoys me and angers me. But as a photographer, you know, we work. But the law is the law. If, it's, if you can't go and shoot, you shouldn't be able to do it. Uh, uh, do I think um, adults and uh, all of the future photography we're going to have to figure this out of how do we consent and waiver and uh, do we waiver and who's willing to waiver and um, we need—that's a dialogue that needs to be figured out now, uh, instead of later, because uh, there's going to be a lot of change in the, the landscape of this whole industry, and uh, we need to figure out uh, how we enter back into that. Because everybody wants to open back up, but no one's laying down the parameters for us opening back up, and how we're going to open up, and how we're going to, you know, kind of uh, do this safely and uh, um, responsibly.
1: Do you think that it was fair for him and the group to get fined? Does anyone think that that was a fair thing? Like, it doesn't matter what you're trying to do. There's a there's a stay at home order. It doesn't matter. You got to stay at home. I, I, it's it's really not about fair or not. It's it's you know. Do I think it's fair
4: that uh, you know we're all locked up? Well, it's it's a necessity. Um, so yeah, it's it's what it has to be. Um, and I, I I'm in, I'm. Being responsible about that, I have I've turned down jobs. I've uh, not shot, and uh, I've, I'm sitting, trying to do my part. And as long as you know Cuomo here in New York says uh, we're on pause, I'm on pause. Um, and uh, I think you know, you, you look at it. He's taking on the responsibility of. Yeah, maybe it's a nice thing. Maybe the family all is quarantined together, and he's a photographer. But you never know who you cross contaminate or touch along the way. And you're, if you're not being responsible, you could bring it to other people and you're not putting your life on, the you know, you're putting other people's lives at risk. And that's, uh, you know, just for
1: a shoot. And that's, that's irresponsible, especially if it's against the law right now. <laughs> yeah, I know. Right. So I guess all those people had that great idea about doing porch photography. They should be fined as well. Right. Cause I mean, technically they were doing a non-essential task out and about. Right. It's tough. I mean, uh, because you're not—that's not a
4: gathering—and you know, breaking—they're breaking social distancing by what they're doing. So if a person is, you know, six feet away, and the people are on the porch, and he's out for a walk, if he's charging for it, and 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 they're doing it, I—I I don't. Know, who am I to say if it's right or not? If it's against the law or not? That's up to you know the authorities. And and you know, they—you need to like just like you know, going to a place that doesn't allow drones. You need to understand before you go out what the laws are and what you can and can't do. And if you try. You know, you know, want to take that risk and and go against it, then then you get the fine or you get uh, what's coming to you if you if you want to balk at the system.
1: Evelyn, let me ask you. You know, you're in DC, and I don't know what the rules are for that area, whether it's it's stay at home or not. But you know, has anyone questioned your ability to go out and about and do your job?
2: Uh, no, I mean yes, we have stay at home orders, but of course everyone's out and about and exercising or hanging out on their porches, socializing and Um, I haven't, nobody's come up to me when I've been out with my camera and I, I attended a wedding on a street that like the the neighborhood literally shut down their own street. I mean, that wasn't technically allowed and, and were people all, you know, they were mostly keeping their distance, but, um, I wasn't hired by the couple. I was there as a photographer for the Washington post. So, um, you know, nobody was calling the police. I mean, this just sounds like I, I look. There were what eight, eleven people in total in this article, but it's <laughs> like an an annoying. You don't that neighbor is
0: yeah you yeah. Know.
2: It's, wasn't, yeah. It doesn't sound like they're having a block party. You know, right. it sounds like a family, and then probably there was a photographer who was X amount of feet away. You know, uh, but it, it seems a little bit uh, litigious and or right. you know not kind of litigious, but just overly. An overabundance of caution and, and more annoying than an actual threat. But you know, you never know. Like Travis said, if these are the rules, and you're not you're supposed to stay at home, um, not conduct business. It's it's hard to know. Are you not allowed to go to your neighbor's house? I mean, I don't really even know specifically. Am I can I can am I not allowed to go visit a friend? You know, isn't that is that violating DC stay at home orders? Yeah, I, I don't.
1: Well, they say home you have to. Stay I don't at. do that. Just stay at a home, so. Right,
2: <laughs> so it's it's all it's all very murky, to be honest. So it
4: brings uh, you know, up an interesting. It's a little hard to say. You know, I'm just visiting the neighbor yeah. when it's like a wedding, and it's a photographer. It's like it's 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 a little. Uh, like no, we're just we're just, playing dress up and role playing.
2: I mean, there is <laughs> a bored. limit to the number of people you can have in a gathering. So maybe it's no more than ten people, and they were at eleven. You know, I don't I don't know.
1: Uh, but you know, an interesting point. Evelyn for you do you like have something on you perhaps your press pass or does the Washington Post give you some sort of guidance when you are out and about if you are you know ever stopped by a police officer for being out like is there a sort of guidelines they give you do you just show your press pass or do you do you have some sort of proof you have to show
2: um I don't I mean yeah I have a press pass it doesn't say the Washington Post on it um but I have heard there is a letter like i could get a letter from an editor saying i'm working for the washington post they won't give freelancers um hard badges uh why i don't know it's sort of a bone of contention i've asked several freelancers we've asked but we can always get a letter if we need it that we can carry in our bag with us um so that's but i had nobody i mean i actually did take a portrait of somebody in a very wide open public area um for an assignment that was not news related. It was for a publication that wasn't, I, I couldn't really call it news. Um, and we kept our distance and not, nobody raised an eyebrow. Yeah. So or call the cops yeah. on me. Yes.
1: You just, <laughs> we gotta
2: also. So you gotta live. So Find
1: that nosy neighbor who doesn't like you. And then they'll call the cops on you. They'll follow you around.
2: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't think anybody, I mean, we were two people in an open air with tons yeah. of distance. I can't, I, I don't know what the, how, what, like what we were out of our home you know i that'd be hard to prosecute yeah. i think I, you are allowed to leave your home and get exercise and right. move around and drive in your car and do those things
1: uh yeah. jamie you're out there in california right oregon, oregon. uh i'm what's, in what's oregon the rules in oregon
3: yeah um well they just started opening up okay. this week so we have a rule of where I live is what's called phase one, um, which means we have you know, the fewest cases. Now there is a lot of contention because people just aren't being tested out here. So it's a really nice way to say that we have the fewest cases in the yeah. country. <laughs> but at the same time I have friends who got sent home. I like have a photograph of a well, letter. The only that reason says, we have a lot of cases you likely is we're have- testing. <laughs> um yeah exactly uh like she got a uh letter that said you likely have covid unfortunately we don't have tests yet therefore follow these procedures and so um in that regard i think a lot of it comes down to like necessity in my opinion um what's necessary like this whole porch photography thing like if you're that hard up because you just have to have a portrait family then you know learn how to use the timer on your cell phone (laughs) and then you know figure that out but i get it like everyone's struggling that's i think that's the, the thing that like people are losing in this whole protest world is that there's just a lot of people who are really freaked out and really scared about losing their income losing their homes losing their jobs and they're watching their friends and family you know get evicted and um i think that in in where we are like now the gatherings are 11 people or 10 people gatherings of 10 you have to wear masks in public in certain places and all of that and i i mean i i kind of go back to the quote i saw on twitter the other day that was like so my choices are everybody wears a mask or i drown in my own fluids Uh, is this a trick question (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yes everyone just wear a mask and we can probably open up a hell of a lot more stuff than we could before and we can protect really vulnerable people so I have a lot of friends in the healthcare industry right now and they're exhausted I mean they're literally people are quitting people are scared they're, they haven't seen their family in weeks because they're living in like the basement I mean it's just it's really hard and we're in an area where we don't have the bodies piling up all over the place. But I think being Americans, we live in such a gigantic, vast, huge country that understanding that there are lots of different, you know, places that are going through a different need. And there are other, you know, Americans that are struggling with this and nobody wants anybody to die. It's not like, you know, that, but I I think at the same time, like, we can, we can find a way to find some balance, like what what Evelyn was saying. Like, there there should be just clear, direct, educational news coming from our politicians
1: and leaders and,
3: you know, having... That would be nice, wouldn't it? <laughs> wouldn't that be nice?
1: All right. Well, I think that's going to bring it to the end of the show. Uh, Jamie, where can people find out about, more about you and your work?
3: Uh, you can find us at momentaworkshops.com. So that's moment with an A workshops with an s.com and if you scroll down the page you'll see that there is a big green bar that says sign up for our newsletter and that's where all of our scholarships, discounts, sales, um, awards, information like that comes out before it hits the general population. We are at momento workshops on Instagram, at Momenta on Twitter and momento workshops on Facebook.
1: Okay, great.
4: I know there are a ton of workshops out there and choices out there, but I just have to say yours are before all of this, were were worth uh, every penny of it and the, the quality of work that you guys put together. And, and just I've seen the people that come out of your workshops and the work they're producing and how they've developed is, is utterly amazing.
3: Thank you, it's Travis.
1: Travis. It's true. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, if you're looking for anything from Evelyn, just go to D.C., look outside. She's probably walking around, taking photographs of something. Weddings and whatnot, flagrantly violating stay-at-home <laughs> orders. Just kidding.
2: Porch <laughs> photos, weddings, bar mitzvahs, whatever, you name it.
1: Just as long as it's outside and there's a proper separation and the group the group isn't large enough, you know, she'll cover it for you. Uh, and then, uh, Travis, uh, what do you got going on? You said you got some open talk, right? Yeah,
4: uh, this week on my other show, uh, Open Talk, uh, we'll be uh, interviewing uh, Neil Kramer and uh, Corey Johnson, who are uh, a duo that work out in uh, L.A. that uh, do a lot of advertising from Nike and tons of different people. But uh, we're having a discussion of what they were doing prior to COVID and now what they're shooting now. And they're working on projects, uh, shooting these wonderful Wonderful uh, imagery of uh, people wearing uh, masks and all these different portraits in the in the light in uh, in L A. and it's it's beautiful. So that's uh, open talk on Thursdays at eight p.m. You can find us uh, on YouTube at American Photographic
1: Artists. Great, great. I'll be actually releasing a competing show called Closed Talk. It's just me, awesome. talking to the microphone for three to four <laughs> saying hours, saying nothing straight. <laughs> just Arguing just ASMR, yourself. just ASMR for three or four hours. Oh no, oh, it's God. wonderful. Mostly just yawns. (laughs) yawns. Mostly yawns. All right. Um, Well, that's going to bring us to the end of this week's show. Thank you so much. Uh, Jamie, for coming back on. Truly appreciate you and your time, okay. as well as uh, our co-hosts here, Travis and Evelyn. Thank you so much. If you'd like to learn more about us or any of the topics we talked about, head on over to any of our social networks. So we post everything on Facebook. And if you want to get everything we post early, go to patreon.com slash aroundthelens and throw us a buck. And if you want to find everything, just remember aroundthelens.com. Around we got links to everything from there. All right, Jamie, thank you so much. Have a great morning, day Thanks. in California. Uh for get the rest of the day ahead of you. That's right. Bright and early. <laughs> um Yeah. What, what time do you usually get up by the way? Typically. What's your typical morning oh, m- morning routine?
3: I'm, I'm kind of an early riser. Okay. So right. uh I'm usually I'm just not typically as awake and
1: alert okay. as but you're easing <laughs> as into as the today, morning around say. this time. All right. Right. Well, yeah, I don't feel advertised. But as I bad would do now.
3: anything to see you guys. Oh. So because it's great to see all both of your faces and your avatar.
1: <laughs> oh, well I'm going get, to I'll get another camera set up here for next week so people can see me. All right, well thank you again so much Jamie for Travis Keys and Evelyn Hawkstein. I am David J Murphy. This has been Around the Lens episode 225 and we are out.
0: Thanks for listening to Around the Lens. We hope you enjoyed the show. To continue the conversation, head on over to one of our social media outlets such as Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, or Twitter. To support the show financially, consider donating to us via Patreon. For show notes from this week's episode and links to everything else we talked about, just go to our website, AroundTheLens.com. Finally, if you or someone you know might be a good guest for the show, get in touch with us via email at info at AroundTheLens.com.